Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number four of Genesis chapter two. We're going to be reading verse three. Genesis 2 verse 3 says, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. And we saw in our last study how God speaks of entering into his rest in the sense of entering into salvation or into the kingdom of heaven. And we discussed how that's related to the work of faith that the Lord Jesus Christ performed for his elect people as he took upon them uh, their sins from the foundation of the world and died for them and then paid for them. Well, I just want to point out one other thing before we move on to the next verse, verse 4. And... That is that many times as we're reading the Bible, God refers back to the creation account here that we're going over in in these early chapters of Genesis in order to emphasize the seventh-day Sabbath rest. But not always, not always. For instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, I'll read a few verses here, beginning in verse 12. It says, Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as Jehovah thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. And and so far, that's exactly as we are reading in Genesis. Six days God worked, seventh day he rested. It's exactly as it's outline in the Ten Commandments. Six days you work, seventh day you rest, because the Lord God uh, worked six days to create the world. But here, notice the reason that's given in verses 14 and 15. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of Jehovah thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that Jehovah thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, Jehovah thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Here God is making reference to bringing Israel out of Egypt, and and this is why they should keep the Sabbath day. And why would God do this? Well, uh, for one thing, 
to help us learn of the spiritual nature of the Sabbath rest, because whether it's through six days he worked and finished all the work and the seventh day he rested, or through um, tying it with the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt, and that's why they they need to rest in in both uh references to the the finished work and to the coming out of Egypt we have a picture of salvation of deliverance from sins and of captivity to satan and 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 so uh spiritually they're synonymous ideas and and so the lord can make that kind of connection and it it's uh, no difficulty, no problem for him to do it. Well, I, I just wanted to mention that because it's important for us to realize that even though God here is giving us a historical parable of working six days, true history, of course, he did create the world in six days, and then he rested. That's a historical, because it was fact, these events took place as recorded, Yet, a parable, historical parable, in a sense, they're teaching a deeper spiritual meaning. They're they're teaching the salvation program of God. And it's the same thing with tying it to the coming out of Egypt. Okay, let's go on to verse 4 of Genesis chapter 2. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that Jehovah God made the earth and the heavens. Now there's uh, a few things about this verse that are kind of unusual. Number one, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth. The word generations, Strong's number in the Hebrew, 8435, is used not not this particular word not all that many times but everywhere else every other time this word is used it's always in relationship to people uh, it it's it's um used for instance in Genesis 5 verse 1 this is the book of the generations of Adam or in Genesis 6, verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. In Genesis 10, verse 1, now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. Not only is it always used in relationship to people, but it's used to recount their descendants, the ones that are begotten by them. And so it's a word that uh, would have relationship to a genealogy. Well, why is God speaking of the generations of the heavens and of the earth and using that word? And again, it goes back to the picture, the spiritual picture that God is illustrating that he has painted 
with the creation of the heavens and the earth. Remember back in verse 1 of, of this chapter. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Verse 2 said, God ended his work. And that related to Hebrews 4 verse 3. The works were finished from the foundation of the world. So the the work of God was performed in six days. And God is um, relating that to the work Jesus performed, the work of faith in dying for his people's sins, making payment for those sins, and establishing their lives and, and providing salvation for them. And, well, what's the connection? How do these elect, perhaps as many as 200 million, all whose sins were laid upon Christ and paid for, and and thus God uh, was obligated uh, from the point of Christ rising from the dead to save each and every one of them. What what relationship do they have to this creation of the heavens and the earth? Well, when Jesus did die before the world began, foundation of the world was before. God created, then God established the spiritual lights of the gospel, the sun, moon, stars, and and it was as though he put the stars in the sky because he likens the body of believers to the stars of heaven. As he said to Abraham, or Abram at that time, your seed will be as the stars of heaven for multitude. And this act of faith, this work of Christ, the the work that he finished at the foundation of the world when he became the lamb slain and and satisfied the demands of God's law for these people, it was as though a new heaven and a new earth were formed and created as God uses um, the elect as figures of the stars and also as figures of New Jerusalem, which he ties in with the new earth. For example, let's go to Isaiah 65, Isaiah 65 and verse 17. It says, therefore, behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former shall not be remembered nor come into mine, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. The Lord relates the creation of a new heavens and a new earth to the creation of new Jerusalem. And new Jerusalem, we know for a fact, is a type and figure of the body of believers or the the elect of God. Remember, we read in Revelation 21, um, the first couple of verses, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
So God gives the Apostle John a vision concerning the new heaven and the new earth, which he opens, the chapter opens, with that statement, but then it immediately transfers to the the new Jerusalem, who's likened to the bride, and that's because she's the bride of Christ, as all the people that God has saved form the woman, the bride, that Eve typified. And then as we read the rest of the chapter, when we're reading about this city, we, we would expect to be reading about the new heaven and new earth. Well, we are. The city is the new heaven and new earth. That is, God is writing in a way that they're synonymous. The new heaven and new earth is the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a place, isn't it? It's a city. It's a land. And the word land in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 65, where, where God says, I create a new earth, that's the same word translated as land in, in many cases. And, and God says earlier in Isaiah 62 that he's married to the land. He's married to the earth, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And I wouldn't know how to carry that any further. Well, we, we, of course, expect God to create a new creation. He tells us that. And God's people will be, um, joyously, um, experiencing that new creation for eternity future. But that doesn't mean God is not making the association. He's not linking the two together. That body of believers are linked synonymously with the new heavens and the new earth. And therefore, when God says these are the generations of the heavens and the earth, he's not speaking only about this present world and universe, but he's speaking of that which will come forth from it, just as sons of Adam, the generations of Adam, or sons of Noah, their their descendants come forth from them. So also will come forth from this present heavens and earth, a new heavens and a new earth that are established in the same point at, or I almost said time, but it was before time, it, in eternity past at the foundation of the world when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead to be that gospel light, to be the day of salvation. That's the day that Jehovah God made the earth and the heavens. Now, uh, that's another unusual thing. And in this verse, in the second part of Genesis 2, verse 4, God says, In the day that Jehovah God made the earth and the heavens. Now, let me read the whole verse again. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that Jehovah God made the earth and the heavens. 
It's rather redundant, isn't it? It's repeating itself. It doesn't appear to make much sense. And and also we notice that God reversed the word order. In the first part of the verse, heavens comes first, the heavens and earth. The second part of the verse, the earth comes first, the earth and the heavens. Why would he do that? Why reverse the wording and and the, the order of the words? Well, because it is unusual to read earth in that order, the earth and the heavens, it, it's far more typical to read the heavens and the earth. And actually, you'll read that throughout the Bible. Heaven, it could be singular, uh, or heavens and the earth. And yet there is another place, just one other place, where we have this order, this word order, where earth is put before the heavens. And that's in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 20, it says in verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Now, what happens when the earth and the heaven uh, flees away? Remember back again, Revelation 21, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. So when the Apostle John sees the great white throne from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, then uh, coming along is the new heaven and the new earth. In other words, this word order that God has arranged very intentionally, um, he adjusted the words and rearranged them because, um, tell me, does God expect his people to study the Bible? Does he expect or or did he expect that his people would carefully, with a magnifying glass, go over every word of Scripture? Of course he did. God's the one who moves in his people to will and do of his good pleasure. He's the one that commands us to study, to show yourself approved. The workman needeth not to be ashamed. And he's the one throughout the Bible that writes unusual-sounding verses or or just something seems awkward in a verse in order to highlight certain teachings, certain things that he wants his people to know. And so as God is um, authoring this verse, as he's writing this verse, he intentionally changed the order of the words and and he as it were, repeated himself to draw attention to the fact that he has already formed, just just as he already had formed Eve in the sense within Adam, and he addressed Adam as both male and female. We, we looked at that verse previously. He has already formed the elect, body of Christ, the woman, 
not not formed that they've been born as yet, and not formed that they heard the gospel and became saved, but in essence, since Jesus paid for all their sins, God obligated himself and guaranteed they would each one become saved in their time according to the timetable of God's plan for each person, and they would come together by the end of time to form the complete body of Christ, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, which God would institute. And and so in the day, this all is a result of Jesus dying from the foundation of the world and rising again. And in that day, Jehovah God made the earth and the heavens. Now, there's something else that's unusual about this verse. In chapter 1, we were continually reading God, God, God. And and the Hebrew word translated as God, as we've mentioned before, is Elohim. It's the plural name for God as God uses it to stress he is one God, yet his being, he is three distinct persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and so here we have the word God, but we also have Jehovah. And the word Lord in our King James Bibles in all capital letters is letting us know the Hebrew word is Jehovah. It's the first time in the Bible that God identifies himself as Jehovah. And Jehovah is the name that particularly identifies with God as Savior. In Isaiah 43, verse 11, the Lord says, I, even I, am Jehovah, and beside me there is no Savior. He is Jehovah, the Savior. And the Lord has selected this verse at the the beginning of the creation as he's detailing his work of creation and the, the seventh day that he rested from his work. He's uh, he then sums up everything. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that Jehovah, the Savior, God made the earth and the heavens. You see, it is, it, it, it is not out of character, out of place for God to introduce the, the name as all the names of God, you know, God gives himself many names in the Bible, and each one teaches something about the person of God. This is actually an excellent place for God to introduce the name Jehovah, because the uh, new heavens and the new earth, or in, or in this day that Jehovah, God made the earth and the heavens, when, uh, again, this is teaching us of Christ rising from the dead and, and thus being the light of the world, the, the light that identifies with day, the day of salvation. 
In that day, Jehovah God made the heavens and the earth, as, as we've been saying and, and going over. Yes, he, he created a physical world that we're a part of that has physical sun, moon, and stars and, and so forth, but he also created the spiritual kingdom of heaven that, that would be that new heavens and new earth that would be comprised of only his saved people. And therefore, uh, he uses the name Jehovah. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.